Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome to leaders and non-leaders alike, young and old, whoever you are. It's always a pleasure to have you join the show. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Panetta. As always, we are right downtown, Salem, Oregon, in studio. It is a beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, it's in January, and the sun is shining, and the skies are nice and blue, which is not a regular occurrence in the Pacific Northwest in January. So I'm grateful for today. I'm grateful for normal, healthy days. You know, over the holidays for two weeks, I was out for the count. I had uh, COVID and, you know, I thought COVID would never really impact me uh, a lot health wise because I'm pretty healthy and take care of myself. But, you know, it shows no mercy. It took me out completely. The rest of my family were all asymptomatic, but I had every symptom possible. And and I'm glad, you know, it never got too severe, but I was very sick. And my point in saying all of this is I love normal, healthy, regular days. When I was sick, uh, I longed for those days. So I absolutely love days like this um, where I feel good and it's a wonderful, beautiful day outside. So definitely learn some gratitude for a normal, healthy, regular lifestyle and day when I was out for a couple of weeks. So uh, today, well, first, before I get into our show and our guest, I always like to reiterate who we are and what we're doing for any new listeners. For reoccurring listeners and our regular listeners, you know by now, I, you know, I say this every time, but just got to let let any new listeners know what we're about. You know, we are part of a leadership institute, a groundwork. It's called Groundwork, a leadership institute home here in Salem. And the goal for creating this institute was to raise the tide of leadership in our community to build leaders from the ground up. And we wanted to be intentional in our part in contributing to the cultivation of great leaders now and for many years to come. And so, you know, we are a complete non complete non-for-profit we have. This isn't a business for us. This is not some sort of venture to create profit. I mean, we we cover all the costs for our leaders and it's part of our philanthropic uh, endeavor to create a better community and, and help people uh, here and organizations here locally. So that's what we're doing and why we're doing it. We love the fact that we call ourselves an institute because we're not experts and we don't claim to be, and we don't know everything, but institutes are organizations that house information and knowledge and share it, and that's what we're trying to do. So it was a no-brainer to start this podcast because our goal is to gather as much information, learn as much as we can about leadership, and share that not just with our participants in our institute, our members, our leaders, but with our entire community. So enough about that. Let me introduce our guest, also our co-host. Uh, will be joining us. Usually he's here in studio, but recently he's been joining us on Zoom. So Salam Noor, our co-host, will be joining us as well as our guest, former chief of police, Jerry Moore. He retired recently, so now he's Jerry Moore, <laughs> which is kind of strange for me because I'm used to calling him chief. So uh, I'll have to talk to him about that when he joins. But he's been in law enforcement for a few decades, long time here. Um, uh, in 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 my circles and and folks that I know, uh, very well known um, and enjoyed liked individual. I know in law enforcement nowadays you're not liked by 
everyone, but Chief Moore was absolutely, you know, a, a great leader. Um, had a great has a great heart, and is just um, an ideal uh, chief of police in in my book. So happy to have him on the show. Let me go get let me go get him online as well as Salam, and I'll be right back. Here we go. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem, or on our website at groundworkleadership.org. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're back here. We got Salam, our co-host uh, on Zoom, as well as our guest today, former Chief Moore. I'm used to calling him Chief. Uh, his name's Jerry, so I need to start calling him, calling him that now, but uh, we're happy to have him. He just recently retired, um, has been in law enforcement for a long time, just been in our community for a long time. His kids uh, uh, grew up here, I believe. I mean, I, I play basketball with your son at the gym, well, pre-COVID when we could actually do those things, uh, but uh, I gave a brief intro um, of who you are, uh, Jerry, in in our intro to this episode, but would love if you could pick it up from there and tell us more about yourself. Um, you know your your career because you just recently retired; it's fresh. And you know why you how you got into law enforcement. You just your journey and your story. You can kind of start and take that wherever you'd like, but we just want to learn more about you. Okay, well, to both of you, thanks for having me. It's a uh... So it's a pleasure, but it's a real honor too that you would ask me to do this. So, thank you for thank you for um, allowing me to do this today. Of course. Um, well, as you said, uh, Chris, I I'm pretty much a lifelong Salem resident. I've been here since I was three years old. Um, I grew up uh, I grew up here. I went to um, uh, a Catholic school, uh, St. Vincent's, for eight years. Uh, Live right next door to the school, so my uh, my mom and dad uh, were a big part of the church, and uh, uh, the priests were our best friends. And uh, uh, my mom took care of them and made them dinners, and um, we had, we just had a, a good time there. Um, I was going to go to my thought was I was going to go to a Catholic high school, but um, my mom had a little inside information and knew that it was going to be closing. And for those that have grown, that lived here for many years, that was Sarah Catholic High School. And um, she knew it was going to close. So she got me involved in the public schools right away. And I, so my, in the, my year nine of, of school, I went to Waldo Middle School. And then uh, uh, after that, uh, at the time I was going to school, there were only three high schools in Salem. And that was North, South, and McNary. And uh, while I lived closer to North, uh, we were bused to uh, to McNary, and it was a great school. I had a great time there. Um, it was kind of a, a cool time back then with three schools. You you knew everybody and you knew a lot of people in all the different schools, so uh, that was cool. We competed against them. You talked about playing against my kids in in sports. Um, I, I was involved in sports and. Um, so we knew a lot of people and, and it was good. And so uh, I, I had a great time in the schools uh, and uh, I, I enjoyed them. Uh, from there, I went to, uh, I went my first year after graduation, I went to Corvallis to Oregon State for a year. I uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. 
and I'll explain how I got into this a little bit as we go along. Uh, but after after a year, I decided uh, uh, I wanted to go back to playing basketball, so I went to Chemeketa, played a couple years at Chemeketa and graduated uh, from there. And then I went to Oregon College of Education, which, of course, is now Western, and uh, I graduated from there. So that's kind of how I uh, grew up. Um, but you asked about how I got where I where I ended up. Um, my dad owned a store uh, in downtown Salem. It's um, actually it's where the Masonry Grill is. My dad owned that building and uh, with a partner. And it was uh, at one point it was commercial bookstore and then it was commercial business supply. And it um, sold office supplies and books, as the titles would would tell you. And I um, I worked for my dad, and I would uh, I would deliver things. So we would load the delivery van in the back alley, and right behind the um, right behind the uh, my dad's business across the alley was what I would at the time think was one of the toughest bars in in Salem. It was called the smoke shop or something like that. I think it was. And um, uh, I watched life, uh, which was different than mine, occur in that alley and in front of that, in that business. And during that time, I'd see some, I'd see police interaction, obviously. Uh, and um, it, I, I was always, I don't, well, I don't remember them all, but I was, I was always impressed with the way the, the officers dealt with uh, the people that needed attention, uh, whether they were helping them or dealing with the issues they were having. And so it kind of piqued my interest. So when I went back to Chemeketa, uh, that was always in my mind that I might be in, interested in law enforcement. So um, that's kind of what pushed me that direction. Uh, my dad had a great business. Uh, he was uh, sat behind a desk most of the time. And uh, at the time, I just thought to myself, I don't know if I want to sit behind a desk for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Of course, I ended up sitting behind the, the, a desk for uh, 20 years of my service, but uh, that, that's, beyond, that's beside the point. That's not why I got into it. But I thought I want to try something else. And um, I guess I was kind of a type A, been my whole life and competitive. And I saw there was challenges in that job. So it piqued my interest. So I, I took that in college at Chemeketa and at OCE and uh, graduated. And um, uh, I was very fortunate. I got a job right out of college uh, with the Dallas Police Department in uh, Dallas, Oregon. And uh, I was there for two and a half years and a great, great place to start. It was a nice community. In fact, we, uh, we moved there um, and I lived there for over 10 years. And um, but I, I always knew that um, Salem had an interest for me, having grown up here and just having been around the police department uh, in college, I did a practicum with them. I knew I wanted to come back. So as soon as I was able, after two and a half years, I came back to Salem. And um, that's how that's how I um, started my career. Thank you. I mean, I didn't know, uh, you know a lot of that about you. I, I love when we have guests and we just get to hear some of their story. Cause I get a, even though I know a lot of the people we have on, I, you know, I obviously there's a lot about them. I don't know. So it's fun to, to hear that. Um, and, uh, love that, uh, you, you, uh, you were a basketball player cause you're, 
your sons are great athletes. I've been able to play with both of them. Not anything serious. I mean, we're talking about the gym. We're all weekend warriors, right. has-beens, all of us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, most of us are not very impressive, but uh, your son, uh, Eric, you know, both of them, but Eric is is great. And I don't usually express these things on the court, but if he's ever listening, I think uh, you're a baller, Eric. You're very good. So, um, uh, so it's fun playing with them, fun hearing that history about you. A couple of things that I... Um, you know, that I, I, I wrote, I wrote down, you, you reminded me, I love hearing kind of how you got into, to, to law enforcement and what inspired you actually a couple weeks ago before the holidays, a few weeks ago, we had, um, Chip Huth, a major in the Kansas city PD on, uh, he's a friend of mine and, you know, he shared his story of how he got into law enforcement and he was, he had a pretty rough life all over the place, you know, homeless at times as kids and abusive, uh, parents and so police officers were always heroes to him because they were coming in and saving him. Mm-hmm. And and so it was fun to kind of hear why he got into it and why he was so um, passionate about it. But uh, a lot of people don't know. I, I actually, you know, I, I, I pursued the law enforcement route. I took it very seriously, you know, right out of college. Um, I started working for Arbinger, but things just weren't panning out how I, how I hoped. And so, uh, you know, I actually went up to Washington and tested for the state patrol, um, did all the testing and everything. Uh, I did that at a couple of other departments and, and, uh, and through a series of events I won't get into because it will take too long to tell, um, tell the story. I didn't, obviously I didn't pursue it. Um, I'm glad I didn't, not because that would have been a bad path, but because where I'm at now, I am absolutely grateful for and, and love it. But um, it's kind of my 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 history with with uh, law enforcement there. Um, well, it's never too late. I'll just tell you. And, and Salem's always looking for great people, and you're one. So <laughs> I probably have to shave that beard, though. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. The beard thing's a tough one. So. <laughs> yeah, I I just find it really interesting. Um, that you had so many formative experiences as a as a young uh, man growing up in Salem, but observing what was happening in the alley behind your dad's <laughs> shop, yeah, your dad's store, was really one of the key influencers, if you will, on the direction that that life that you took and life took you, so to speak. And uh, I, I find that to be really fascinating because you had the, the awareness to, to see and to understand what was going on. And it sparked an interest in you. I, I find that to be really fascinating. Yeah. Well, I, I probably didn't tell you the parts that when I got stopped by the police or uh, th- some of the other things that happened in my life, but nothing really bad. But uh, that actually worked the same way. I mean, um I was an altar boy, but I wasn't always an altar boy. So uh, uh, the police, uh, I had a couple of police contacts in my life, but uh, I was treated, I was treated the way I would have liked to have been treated for doing whatever it was I did. And that actually had a lot to do with, um, um, it had a lot to do with how I am today and how I, ex- what I expected of the men and women that work for me. And, um, but it also, again, steered me in that direction. So, great. Tell us more, uh, if you can, about that of kind of what your perspective on on 
the approach to law enforcement and, and working with with people and, and what you tried to instill in, in your, you know, in the people that worked for you? I know that's a big loaded question, but, you know, what was your perspective and how you wanted um, them to operate and how you wanted the community to feel um, and, and people to feel after an interaction with your, right. your team? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my dad again, who I worked for. And obviously uh, I grew up with, but one of the, the things that I'll always remember is the people that worked for him would stop me and they would say, your dad is such a gentleman. And, um, I, and it was unsolicited and it obviously it made me proud of my dad. But as I grew up, I thought, you know, I don't know if you could have a better um, description of yourself uh, than something like that. And I took that with me into law enforcement. Now, there's certain things in policing that you'd say, well, that's not very, very gentleman-like, but policing is a people business. And if you, and you ask me the question, and uh, what I tell my people all the time or told my folks, when I worked there was, and no matter what rank I held or anything, it's a people business. And everything we do involves people. I've said many times, nobody ever calls us when they're having a good day. They call the police when um, they may have had the worst day of their life or they don't know who to turn to or they don't know what what to do. And it's our And it was our job to bring hope. And that's hope that things were gonna get better. And you can't do that if you don't care about people. So uh, caring and having some compassion uh, and maybe you're putting yourself in other people's positions, um, I think is really a lot of what I expected of our folks. You know, I expected, um, my expectations were, um, we treat people the way we'd like to be treated or we'd like our family to be treated. Um, we never forget we're dealing with human beings uh, nobody's perfect, and um, we have to we have to work our way through all of that. Uh, uh, I, of course, I don't anymore. But when I was a police officer, that's what we did. But that's that was kind of my expectations: is that um, we treat people with respect and compassion, and we do what we can to make things better rather than make things worse. Gary, if I may, if I may jump in here, Chris. Uh, I really commend you for for having these values and principles that in an organizational setting translate into culture. Could you talk a little bit about how you instill these values in every officer that that worked for you, that you served with, and how do you know they're actually happening? Right. Well, um, I guess there's, and you're talking about leadership when you talk about developing a culture. Um, we've all read leadership books. We've all been to leadership training. Um, I'd say the bulk of my leadership uh, development was on the job. You know, I watched people. Um, I watched leaders. I, I watched my supervisors. And I said, I don't want to be like that. Or I do want to be like that. And I think we've probably all, anyone that's in a position like we've been in, um, you take the good things that you see from people, you model what you think is proper behavior, 
Um, uh, you do what you can when you've saw things that you said, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like that. You burn that into your brain. And I think um, that's what you bring forward as a leader in developing culture. I, I talked earlier about treating um, um, as a police officer, treating the people we go help uh, as humans. The same thing goes for our own employees. Um, I know what they, I believe I knew what they expected of a leader and that's ethics and honesty, um, treating them the right way. Um, I, I always throw in accountability there. Uh, you know, people say, well, you, you want to take care of your people. And I've had lots of people come into my office and say, hey, I'd like to be a supervisor. And I say, why do you want to do that? And they say, well, I want to help. I want to take care of my people. And I say, well, what does that mean? Because you can take care of your people and you can hide the bad things they do. And you can, uh, and I'd say, that's not taking care of your people. People want supervisors that hold them accountable, that mentor them, that guide them, that uh, model behavior that they can look up to and respect. And uh, that's, um, I think, what I, what I tried to bring to, our, with, to the Salem Police Department was a, um, was a model of what being a professional is, but more importantly, how you treat other people. And uh, I wasn't bashful about talking about it in any, in any opportunity I had. You know, I guess the biggest opportunity would be briefings and uh, small groups with, with uh, officers, but then there were large groups where um, uh, at in-service trainings where I'd meet with 40 employees a week for eight weeks uh, just to get through all of our people. And I would talk about my expectations and I would talk about um, uh, what I thought was important. You know, when I, uh, when I went for promotion, maybe as far back as a lieutenant, and, and you know, you develop as you go. I mean, I'm a, probably, I'm, I'm a similar person to what I was before, but um, my life's um, experiences have changed me too. So uh, what I tell anybody is, if, if, if you want to be a leader and you want to, you want to be accomplished supervisor, you have to get your own stuff together. What do you expect of yourself? What are you going to model? Uh, and then you have to get, you have to understand what are my expectations of people? What do I expect from the people that work for me? Um, and, and, I'm, and you need to let them know that you need to let them understand this is, this is what, I expect this is what a community expects. Um, that's what makes a well-rounded, in our case, police officers. And I was never bashful about talking about it. Uh, when people wanted to promote, I would talk about it. Uh, and in service, I would talk about it. And I would try and talk about expectations all the time. So, um, and then Salam, you asked, how do I know that that message got through? And, um, I, in very many, in many ways, you know, the uh, I'm not perfect. My the officers weren't perfect. The police department wasn't perfect, but it didn't mean we didn't try and be perfect. And um, 
I, of course, we got complaints uh, that we would look into and we'd hold people accountable if they'd done something wrong. Um, but I always also received um, a lot of praise for our officers and they would explain it and I would hear it in exactly what my expectations were. And it would be something like, oh, there was a, there was a homeless person who was um, intoxicated and out of their mind and doing the, and your officers treated him so nicely and so compassionately. And that was one way um, uh, that I knew. Now, when, when I was going over my biography, if you will, of growing up in, in Salem, one of the one of the great things that I had going for me was I wasn't just a police officer. I was a neighbor. I was a I was a man who had kids in schools. I was a little league coach. I was a basketball coach. Um, people knew me not because I was a cop. They knew me as Jerry, but they knew that Jerry happened to be a cop. But um, because of that, I have so many uh, acquaintances and friends that talk to me and would talk to me as Jerry, but they'd also say, hey, I saw something the other day, or I did this, or uh, something happened, and they would ask me about it uh, because um, I, I've always been what I believe is easily approachable, but I was also their friend. But when they had questions about police work or something, hmm. um, I was much more approachable because they knew me as a person versus a police officer. So um, that helped me. And, and I only tell you that because I've, I've got more comments because I'm Jerry than because I'm a cop about the officers. And that was really important to me. So, and at the same time, because I was Jerry, they weren't ever bashful about saying, I don't think they did this very well, or I didn't think this. And we were able to talk about it, and and uh, and, I'm, yeah. and as we talk later on about maybe recent events, I'll talk about perspective because that's what a lot of this is. Mm -hmm. It's a perspective. So, um, but absolutely. I hope that answers your question. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, there's a lot of great insights in there. I was trying to take as as many notes as I can to try to retouch on things, but just the most recent one, you know, where. You mentioned, you know, I was more than than a cop. I was more than a police officer. Um, I think that's 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 just su such an important um, thing to keep in mind for leaders in general. That you know, just because we're a leader, we're we're more than that, right? We're we're a person, um, and we and and it's important for us to remember that when we're leading or when we are in a a position of leadership. But it's also important for us to to allow the people of whom we are serving or leading to, to see that and, and to know that. Um, so I love, I love that aspect and insight of it. Um, cause it's, it's, it's vitally important. And I love everything you talked about from, um, the expectations that you would communicate with your, your team, um, and, and the vision and the expectations that you had. I think all of those things are, are vital, um, in general, but specifically, you know, in leadership, we just had, um, just the other day we had the principal at Dallas high school on and, and he was talking about, you know, in order to change the culture at his school, which formerly needed to change, they weren't performing well. Um, 
it was a matter of sticking with it. And, and, you know, the way he phrased it was, what is the, and five minutes a day, what is the five minutes a day that I'm going to do to instill this vision, which they call the promise. And he didn't literally mean five minutes, but you know, the metaphor, what is it that I'm doing every day? And I love that you, you know, you would, you address that of you're always, it's, it just was always something you were talking about. It was something you were trying to instill. And oftentimes such a simple concept, I think we, we forget. And even, you know, I'll relate it to a, a very common analogy that people use, but, but working out, I know that you and I have that in common. We were talking about it before we recorded. We both go to the same gym and, and see each other there early, you know, in the morning and, uh, Simple principle there. If if I want to be in shape, I got to put in the time, and it's the same thing mm-hmm. in leadership and instilling mm-hmm. a a vision or a purpose or expectations. I can't just do it once and hope that it sticks. I can't just write it on a wall and hope that it sticks or say it one time. It's a constant thing. So even though that's a simple principle, I just wanted to highlight that again because you know leaders uh, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself often fall short in that area. I have a vision for how I want things to be. But if I'm not constantly touching it, it's gonna, you know, like there's no guarantee. Um, so I, I love that. I also love this is the last thought, just in kind of rehashing everything that you shared. Um, another thing that stuck out to me was you said, you know, people would come to you and want to be leaders, supervisors, but uh, one of the things you would help them understand is, well, it means you first have to work on yourself, and and then then you can start to have an impact on others. That's you know, above everything, I think that's the most, that's the most key thing that stuck out to me and everything you were saying. Um, and that's something that we strongly believe in, in, in groundwork in our, in our Institute is, and that's the whole purpose of it is you have to fix yourself first and develop yourself mm-hmm. first before you can have a, a true impact on others. Even if they're already in a leadership position and making decisions that obviously have an impact on others, if you want to have that uh, what we call transformative impact, it starts with being willing first to change yourself and then actually making those changes. Because that I think that's the hardest part is am I willing to right. look in the mirror and make the necessary changes in me? Because it's easy to point fingers and think how everybody else needs to change. It's another thing to actually make the change in ourselves first. So, um I love just I, I I like to do that when we have guest share. I just like to rehash what stuck out and and those were uh, really great pr- um, principles that you shared. So I appreciate it. Thanks, and 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 I'll go back to what you talked about. Uh, and I love the analogy of working out because it takes work. It takes hard work to improve yourself physically. It takes a lot of work to improve yourself mentally and and to improve a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, now I've, I was fortunate. I, there was, I've had, I had a great chief before me. Uh, I think you, you folks probably know Walt, Walt Myers. And, uh, so it wasn't like it was a broken culture, but I had to ensure that my folks understood the culture that I wanted. Um, and I was there for 15 years as chief. And, um, and so I go back to the working out. If it, if it's important, you better dwell on it all the time. And I think that's what we do. And and you don't have to knock people over the head with it. It just comes naturally in many conversations. Yeah. It might be as simple as what's the right thing to do? If somebody has a question, well, what do you think the right thing to do is? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I used to I used to have people say, well, we don't know what you mean. We don't know what you mean. What's the right thing? And I said, you'll know it when you see it. 
Mm. You know, you'll know what the right thing to do is if you're looking at it from a humanistic side and how, and a compassionate side and what's the best thing for this situation. So, yeah. Thanks. Jerry, Chris, I, I want to build on what you just um, started, Chris, started talking about here. And I want to tie it to this to this uh, notion of perspective that you mentioned, Jerry, and, and I'm really looking forward to your discussion and, and uh, uh, thoughts on perspective. Uh, but one of the things that Chris touched on, and that is the accountability piece in particular, and and um, it it suggests that everything starts with us. So if I'm building a culture, I have to model that culture. If I have a set of expectations of others that I work with, I have to model those expectations and live up to those expectations first. If I'm expecting them to change, I have to be the first mm-hmm. to change and invite them to do so. And much of that is part of the soil work of the rooted leadership uh, framework that that our um, audience and, and listeners have heard us talk about in terms of soil, seeds, and weeds. So much of what you described, especially in terms of culture, building capacity in individuals and the organization, and that's where I want to tie it to perspective, is really about soil work. So I'm really curious about instilling this particular perspective in the minds of the officers that that you worked with and led, and that their work is about community policing on the one hand, but it's also about community building. And that, you know, for Chris and I and, and others that are familiar with our framework, we call it soil work because we're all contributing to cultivating this mindset in our community. And you really talked about uh, about how you're trying, how you've you've try you've trained your uh, officers, your team to see people as as people. But could you talk a little bit about this dichotomy that we often see in policing, where people think it's not the police's job to build community; their job is to protect, to guard, and you know, police the community, but in actuality, it's a great tool from that perspective point of view to really build and instill the values that we want in a community. Well, I, I, I mentioned this is a people business, but being a people business means one thing, and it's the one thing I always talk about, and it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And if we, if I don't have a relationship with my, my folks, they're not going to trust me. If we don't have a, if we as an organization don't have a relationship with our community, they're not going to trust us either. Now I've said, I've told my folks, I talked about in service. I said, look, I'm a figurehead. I, uh, I can talk to people on the phone. Uh, I can give good speeches. Uh, I can do those things. Our culture and our relationship is going to be built at the ground level. And that's every one of you, every single contact that you make in this community is going to be how people judge our organization. So um, it's all about relationships. Now, uh, I've worked hard to build those relationships that I have in this community. Uh, And when I say I work hard, I've recognized the importance of them. Now, a lot of it's easy for me because um, I like to think I'm approachable and, and the people I deal with, uh, I, I like to get to know them just like we we're doing here and, uh, and, but you develop a relationship. Now it's hard for a, a police officer who, who deals with somebody, 
uh, for 10 minutes to develop a relationship. But what they can develop is a view of themselves where the person says, you know, that guy or gal did a great job for me because they're going to tell 10 more people. Now, the other side works. If, if, if the contact doesn't go well, uh, then uh, they're going to go tell 10 people too. So uh, it works both ways. What I think uh, our folks have, uh, they understand today, and it, it probably isn't anything, maybe it's something I told them, maybe it isn't. They're good human beings or they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. Uh, they understand the importance of relationships. Uh, and, and and I think that is, I think what has driven maybe up until recently with certain people, a real positive view of the Salem police organization. And, um, and we'll talk about recent events, but we'll, we're going to have to, there's, there's lots of work to do uh, in a variety of areas, but um, I think our folks understand the importance of relationships. What I think is what you're talking about is the soil is if you don't have relationship, you're going nowhere. Mm -hmm. So Thank you. Yeah, it's really insightful. And, you know, we brought it up a couple of times, but yeah, all the everything we've been touching on relationships, you know, seeing seeing others um, and stealing, you know, these expectations, etc. All these things we've touched on. If we can segue that into, you know, recent events and um uh, and I know there a lot of people are talking about it, right? The, the social unrest that we experienced in uh, in 2020, um, and it's not like all of a sudden it just happened. I mean, there's you know there's there's always challenges and issues, but it took front page, and um, you know had a huge impact uh, on on law enforcement, and everybody was watching. And I know that you you know finishing your career that probably wasn't easy to all of a sudden, you know, everybody's always watching you in general as a community leader, but now with all of the attention on law enforcement, it, I'm sure it was, uh, had very many challenging moments and us being close to, to Portland and all the things happening. I'm just really curious on your, your perspective on, on all of that and, and, and the importance of the concepts we've been talking about, especially in these circumstances. Yep. Well, 2020 was, was just, uh, it was a crazy year. Um, it probably started with homeless, all the homeless issues we had. Uh, then we went into COVID, which changed everybody's life. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the George Floyd uh, issue. Um, and I think, I think that, of course, most importantly brought out many, many years of frustration that, uh, that people have uh, said enough's enough. And um, our world changed. Uh, our world has just changed dramatically. Uh, anger, emotion, um, um, well, I think anger is probably the, probably the best word, but um, people were uh, more um, prone to say, I'm not taking this anymore and I'm going to let everybody else know that. So, uh, which led to um, protests. I think uh, 
Chief Womack, who uh, uh, replaced me as Salem's chief, uh, said the other night in a in a, um, a council meeting, uh, there have been a hundred there have been a hundred events. Now he wasn't here for most of them. I probably was, but since this started, there's been over a hundred events uh, of uh, of uh, I don't always call them protests because some of them aren't protests. Some of them are events or um, uh, if, uh, if get-togethers to try and um, make positives, if, if possible. But there's been 100 of them and or so, and uh, I, I, I'm going to guess that's probably true. In every one of those events, there's a different perspective of the world. There's your left, there's your right. Um, there are, um, um, like I said, lots of emotion, lots of anger. And uh, in, in our case, the police are caught in the middle, whether we like it or not. And it isn't just Salem. It's everywhere. Uh, I'll give you uh, I'll, now. And what I say here will, uh, because, uh, because of uh, emotions and perspectives and such, um, not everyone will agree with. It. It's like leadership decisions we make. Not everyone's going to agree with them. Mm-hmm. But um there, there was a belief that the police department was treating one side different than the other. And I will tell you, when I talk about culture and, and talking about expectations, um, we don't have the luxury in police work to take a side, regardless of the view of a person or a group of people. Um, now, there are criminal offenses that we're certainly going to deal with, and and that's that's a given, and that's and that's that. But people will say, "Well, uh, they uh, we were treated differently during uh, marches and such." Well, the the fact of the matter is, other than the very first couple of weeks of protests in Salem, which um, were we believe were starting out just like what was going on in Portland, uh, where we um, had to deal with those issues, uh, we've allowed protests. Uh, from both sides um, to occur uh, because in some respects uh, there's not much we can do about it. And then the second respect is we understand people are trying to uh, talk about their issues and we'll do what we can to allow them. That's what we've always, we've done for years is um, if, if someone's going to have a march or a protest, um, our goal has always been we get in touch with them. We say, how can we help you? Here's what we'd like you to do. Here's the laws. Here's the permits you need. Um, and we would continue to do that. Folks, that's that's out the window now. There's no permits. There's marches and there's marches and there's protests and protests. And we are there just to try and keep the peace. And uh, but um I think I think it's fair to say uh that everyone. Uh, on either side of the protests now is upset with the police department Mm -hmm. because they feel that the police department have kept them from doing something they wanted to do. Now, there's another group that I don't, haven't even talked about, and that's the people in this city that that are not protesting, that are not anything. And I'll just give you a perfect example. It doesn't matter if it's a left or a right. Most people don't think that people have the right to march down the middle of a street and block traffic. Yet, um, 
that occurs uh, and the perception of those people is, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you uh, take care of those issues? Why don't you arrest all those people? Well, the simple fact of the matter is that's impossible to do. Um, we certainly want people to be able to express their First uh, Amendment rights. Um, but the perception of the police, I think, right now is that there's favorites being played when we tried never to do that. Uh, but that is what um, law enforcement in Salem and this nation is faced with today. Yeah. And, and it's, um, you know, I have, obviously I don't envy, I don't envy, uh, you know, what law enforcement has to face right now. And, and one of the challenges that I've seen, and, and this is just, is my, you know, my background in peace building and, and conflict is, um, you know, you mentioned you, you just want to be there to keep the peace and, and the challenge, which I, which is hard you know, I, I imagine for law enforcement, it's certainly hard for me is just watching it because I, I under, you know, I, I get, I get what you said. You know, I have two, two uh, cousins, first cousins. They're both um, police officers, um, and you know, so I totally, I totally get it. But, but to be there to keep the peace, and then there's people there that the fact that police are there is the reason why they don't feel at peace. You know. And that's one of the the paradoxes, the challenges for for our country right now is the fact that um, police officers are trying to do their job, um, which they need to do, is what is causing people to be upset. Um, the fact that they're just there, uh, you know, just the presence alone. And I think that's, you know, part of the challenge, at least that I'm seeing, you know, as a from an outside perspective, which is not easy. You know, I, I, I can imagine that's not not easy to be in that position uh, early, early on in the protests. Um, and, and, and you, you identify some people that are trying to be leaders in the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can tell you that it, at, at the same protests where there might be two leaders, one of them would say, we want the police there. We want to develop relationships. And the other person would say, we don't want the police anywhere near it. And those were the types of things that we had to try and work our way through. Um, we we always want to be there. Uh, we we certainly um, wanted to be with the crowd if they wanted to talk with us and such. Um, but we did not want to. What I talked about earlier, we didn't want to make things worse. And uh, so uh, it was just a really difficult mm -hmm. time uh, in our in our history, and it continues to be. I know for. The folks that are still doing it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not right now, but um, I know what, I mean, the, the recent events at the, the Oregon State Capitol, and of course the events at uh, the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., I mean, and they're just, it's unthinkable. Uh, it, the police have to have to deal with that. And of course, um, they take criticism for a failure to be ready or, uh, or taking a selfie or whatever it might be, which is, uh, not really smart, but uh, there's a whole bunch of men and women who did their best to try and keep the peace in those situations, just like we've always tried to do here. Yeah, without taking a side. Yeah, I hear you, and I, you know, I have a question um, that maybe we can lead into, and it's, it's, and this can segue into uh, you know just community leadership in general, but. The question is, and and you don't don't answer right away because I want to give a little more context. But the question is, 
how important is leadership at a com? You know, we'll just put it to the community level because that's what we have some impact in right here. We don't, you know, we can't impact national level right now, uh, us three here. But from a community level, how important is leadership in this discussion and then things like like social unrest and the context that I'll give to it is knowing, you know, I asked that question knowing that there is is this fine line between um what's what's happening, right? I, I totally understand that change is uncomfortable. I totally understand why people want change. I totally understand why they're demanding it. Um in fact, you know, in peace building when we would study all these great peace builders in our history you know Mandela, Gandhi, uh, King, and even even the Savior, right? For those of us that are Christian, you know, this Jesus Christ is one of his one of his his nicknames, if you will, was called the Prince of Peace. Yet he was making a lot of people uncomfortable because he was change. He wanted to to show a new perspective, change things. Same things with those other individuals I've met. A lot of people were uncomfortable. So knowing that there's going to be some uncomfortability in in all of this. Um, and knowing that there's going to be different perspectives, um, you know, with that context, I go back to the question of, you know, in, in just your thoughts on it, of how important is leadership at a community level in engaging in these issues and any other issues that might arise for that matter? Like you mentioned, beginning of the year, our community was really focused on homelessness. Homelessness hasn't disappeared. It's still an issue. So whether it's social unrest, homelessness, you name it, how important is community leadership? Well, I, uh, obviously, uh, it's critically important because uh, a community looks uh, a community looks to a police chief or a mayor or a council or, uh, to make decisions that make things better. And so, uh, I think it's critically important. The difficulty right now is um, there are so many different views on what, I'll just, I'll stick with the police, how a police department should operate. Uh, there, there um, uh, while people would say, I, uh, um, left or right, it doesn't matter who the group is, uh, marching, you you need to let us march. It's our it's our First Amendment right to march. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole other side of the community that says no one has the right. As I said earlier, no one has the right to march down the middle of the street. Nobody has the right to damage my building. Nobody has the right to do this or that. Um, and so we've as as a leadership role, we've tried to say we're going to do the best we can to keep to keep this community safe. We're going to allow the marches. We'll monitor the marches. We'll try and meet with the leaders and we'll help you march. If it, if it helps you uh, give your perspective, or if you, if you want to march to the police department and protest, go ahead. Both uh, left and right have both done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've tried to keep things peaceful. Uh, somebody said at a uh, council meeting, maybe a counselor, uh, you know, really nobody's been killed. Nobody's, Property damage has been very minimal. Um, in in some respect, I think our leadership has done a great, a very good job in that respect. Um, you know, I have people. I've had people complain about uh, how I handle the march, and I will have other people say, "Thank you so much. We've so much appreciate you keeping our property and our people safe." Uh, um, you know, the very first few nights of 
protests in Salem, we had people in front of their buildings armed, guarding. And I know I'm not talking about the armed militia that everybody talks about, but I'm talking about business owners in, in downtown Salem worried that their their businesses were going to be looted and burnt and ransacked. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was our job to keep that from happening. So part of that's leadership is decision-making. Mm-hmm. Now we made decisions early on. Uh, we could have let, uh, we could have let the initial group, group and, and by the way, when I talk about protesters, I think it's important to point out in, in almost every group, there are well-meaning super people that get infiltrated by those that want to destroy and destruct. And those are the people that create problems for us. Uh, many times we can't tell them apart. Mm-hmm. And so um, when a group is infiltrated with people that want to do that, we have to take um, a position of trying to make sure that entire group doesn't do that, mm-hmm. doesn't destroy, doesn't burn, doesn't loot. And that's when we take, we take um, the police would take um, criticism because the majority of that group and the leaders of that group were not intent on doing that. But we, again, are we, the police, were put in a very difficult situation. So it's all perspective. I go back to that. The decisions we made, uh, we tried to make for the welfare of a community. And that goes back to your leadership question is uh, we're doing the best we can as leaders to watch out for an entire community. Those not protesting and those protesting as well. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. No, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious about how you help people, and I say you, but it's really we as a community, help people draw a distinction between what's happening nationally or what may actually be happening in a city nearby like Portland compared mm-hmm. to what we're experiencing in Salem. Right. Uh, as you mentioned, and I commend you and commend your officers and the police department, the Salem Police Department, for the the you know the degree of of peace and, and, you know, peaceful demonstrations, Mm -hmm. the minimum amount amount of violence, if you will, that has occurred as a result of these demonstrations and marching and protests. And the fact that there has been minimal damage to property, to our downtown in particular. Mm -hmm. So how do we help people understand uh, perspective and context? Is that the job of the Salem police department? Is that the job of the chief to say, what you see happening in Virginia or Chicago or some of these other places is true. Uh, you know, we're not going to cast judgment on it, whether it's deserved or not. But our community has its own culture and its own way of of managing these challenges and the opportunities that present themselves from these challenges as well. Right. Well, I think the the best thing we can do is be open and honest and transparent about. And I say we. I don't. I don't work there anymore. But when I did open and honest and transparent about the decisions we were making and and the reasons why we were doing them. Um, I don't know if it matters. Um, uh, I think, I think, I think that's the best way we can do it. I think that's uh, we, we work with the people that we've had relationships with um, who trust us, 
who might be allies in helping us spread that word, not allies in any other respect, but people that know us and trust us. Um, I'd like to think the two of you, for instance, if I told you something, you would believe me because we've had that relationship. And if I told you something that wasn't true, I would lose that relationship. And I'm smart enough to know that. So uh, I think we have to rely on the people uh, that trust us and believe in us to help us spread the word. I don't think it matters uh, one bit um, what Chief Womack says today if people don't trust or believe in the police department. Hmm. So the chief needs to continue to say those things. Um, his allies in the community need to uh, maybe pass those words on. And uh, counselors have to believe in it and and talk about it. Um, I watched that occur at the last council meeting, I believe. I think the chief did a really good job of answering questions. And that's the only way that we're able, that the police will be able to do it. Um, you know, you, uh, Salam, you talk about Portland. Um, I, I don't know what Portland can do. I, I, I don't know what Portland can do. There, people are upset. Uh, they're, um, uh, I don't know at this point if the mayor or the police department can do anything right. But that's what you hear. I think behind the scenes, there are hundreds of thousands of people in that community that truly believe in their police department and want them to continue to try and protect that city. So uh, that's, it's a really hard to, that's a hard one for, uh, for me to answer other than we have to continue. The police department has to continue to be open and honest and um, willing to talk about the reasons they do the things they do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just, it reminds me of the soil conversation we had earlier. Mm-hmm. That's part of cultivating the right soil in the right exactly. mindset. Right. the right attitudes, beliefs, and cultures. So when we encounter these adversities and these challenges as a community, we can still see each other and we mm-hmm. can still see the humanity in each other. And that helps us guide, that helps guide us through these, these challenges. Right. Um, thank you. Yeah. And I, and I, and, and you make a really good point there. Um, I have, um, I'd like to think I have a, 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 a great relationship with a lot of people in this community. But I didn't necessarily have a great relationship or a relationship at all with many of the people that are leaders of um, um, some of the events or protests. And and that was clearly a weakness for me because if they don't know me or believe me and trust me, it's hard for them to believe anything I might say Mm -hmm. if they have a different perspective of it. So developing those relationships with that group, I think, is critically important, too. Uh, And that's going to take a lot of work on both sides. Yeah, I I mean, that's a really important component that you just said there at the end. It goes back to what you were mentioning about, you know, the the mentorship you would give to to aspiring leaders is you got to work on yourself first. And and that sort of self-awareness for leaders in general, but specifically, you know, a leader in law enforcement, like, you know, you formerly were to be able to see, gosh, I don't have a relationship here. And until I do, it's going to be hard for any, you know, us to even think about trust, uh, let alone begin building it. And and so, uh, you know, trust is interesting. It goes, it comes in tandem with the, with building relationships. Trust is in a, 
I say this all the time, it's not a prerequisite. I mean, it's not something that you can say, okay, well, we, we can work together when we trust each other. It, it's not how it works. You actually have to build it together. Right. And I think it goes in tandem, exactly. in tandem with building uh, relationships. Um, you know, we're, we're getting right to about an hour, but there's a couple other um, thoughts I wanted to, to get from you. One is, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but this idea of community leadership, uh, to me, um, you know, being involved in the community for my work and seeing so many different leaders and meeting so many leaders, often the same leaders are at a lot of the same tables in the community. Um, that can become repetitive, but it's also, I, I think there's an importance to it because it just means that leaders are wanting to be involved beyond their own organization. Some organizations, it's, you know, it, it makes more sense for them to be at all those tables, right? And, and even in on law enforcement, I mean, you touch literally almost every aspect of our community. Law enforcement's so important to any community. And so it makes sense for you to be out, you know, and engaging in things that, um, you know, are not directly a part of your, you know, your department or the police department. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've, I've always admired that you're out and about in the community. You know, you've been on boards and you've been participating in other, in other components um, that are not in your job description per se. They're not written down as, hey, make sure you do this. And, you know, I admire that in any leader, but I wanted to get your thoughts and even advice to leaders in the importance of being involved in your community, even if if you're even if you're just you know you your role is you're the leader of organization A, why should you care beyond that? You know why why should you be involved in your community as a leader and care beyond your own organization and care about the organizations around town and everything else? Again, for some it makes sense; it's like a no brainer. So I'm a nonprofit, or I do this, so I have to. But especially for those organizations that not necessarily. They they don't necessarily need to be out in the community. Why should it be something of importance is my my question, because I think you've emulated that. Well, um, what, what was it said? I think it takes a village to raise a child. Um, uh, it takes a community to make a community good. And now that sounds dumb, but I, I, uh, I happen to have a job, just as you mentioned, Chris. My my attendance at some of those meetings uh, was important because people wanted to hear what the police chief thought. Mm -hmm. But, um, and what I, uh, what I would tell you is that many of the meetings that, that I attended with the two of you, I liked attending because I wanted to hear what Chris had to say or what Salam had to say, because I appreciated your perspective and I tried to learn from it. And so um, I think that's important. I want to know what uh, Christy Perry has to think of a situation or what uh, the head of Salem Health thinks or um, maybe a downtown business, because all of those perspectives um, can help change yours or can help you understand better. And I think that's what being a leader in this community is all about. It, you know, I've told my folks, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I just happen to have a job that people uh, require me to make good decisions. Um, when I get together in those groups, uh, the first time I think I know everything, it takes about four minutes before I realize I don't know everything. And I learn something every time I get together with community leaders. So 
um, uh, together, together we are stronger and we're smarter and we make better decisions when we get different perspectives. And so um, that's been the positive for me uh, to be in a position where look, people look to me as a community leader uh, that uh, not only could I give a perspective, but I could learn a great deal, which would, in fact, I would take home with me, home to home and home to work and say, you know, I don't know if we ever thought about this, but here's, here's a different view. And I think that's critically important. And if I could, when I talk about leadership, I think a good leader and what I always tried to do was listen to what my folks had to say, uh, because I may have a perspective that could change drastically by listening to the people that actually do the work or um, have experienced something I haven't experienced. So uh, being a community leader is being flexible and adaptable and willing to listen to others. So I think that's the importance of, um, uh, of, of being a smart leader uh, and being present at many of those meetings. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a perfect, fantastic answer to, to the question um, for leaders that are trying, whether they're trying to engage and, and in the community or not. Um, even those that don't want to maybe be as involved in their community, so much great insight there of how it can enhance our perspective. Um, it can give us, um, a lot of times the answers to some of the, the challenges and opportunities that we face. So I love that. I, I couldn't agree more. And I appreciate that, um, perspective, um, you know, last thing, Salam actually brought this up in, uh, you know, before the call, but, uh, before we, we let you go, we're just curious on what your, what your plans are now, you know, um, you know, just, you know, because you're not the chief of police anymore, doesn't mean you're any less of a, a leader in our community. I mean, I mean, what's your plans? I know you've had a long and, and uh, probably exhausting career and rewarding, I'm sure as well, but what's your plan? And. And maybe we can end with kind of hearing hearing that from you. Well, uh, my plan is to clean out my garage uh, <laughs> after thirty years of. No, um, you know, I um, I don't. I think once in my forty three and a half year law enforcement career, I took three weeks off, and um, so I said I'm going to take three months off, and I'm not going to do anything. But then a couple of my friends called me and said gee, we'd certainly like you to be an ambassador for the YMCA project. <laughs> and um, so I said, okay. So um, uh, I have a meeting with them next week. Uh, I'm still on the family building blocks, uh, board of directors. And I'll just kind of watch and see what, um, what comes along. Um, I'm not going to rush back into anything. I'm going to, there's, I, I got plenty of things to keep me busy at my own home. Um, 35 years of neglect, uh, you know, and, uh, so, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep my eyes and ears open and, and see what happens. I'm, um, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's ever hundred percent financially stable. Maybe I'll need to find another job, but, um, not for a while. So I'm going to relax. I'm going to work out every morning, Chris, yeah. uh, maybe not, maybe not at the court, uh, at the, the, the place where we work out, but 
one of these days uh, uh, I'll be back there. But um, um, I'm 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 just gonna enjoy my my wife, my life, my boys, and my friends for a while. So yeah. that's what I'm gonna do. Maybe in the, maybe in the next few years there'll be some grandkids too. I don't know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. I know Salam's a new grandpa and he loves it. So. No, oh, congratulations. Absolutely wonderful. Well, uh, Chief or Jerry, now I, I got to, <laughs> I know you won't mind if I keep calling you Chief, but I, I, I'm just what I'm used to, but I need to call you Jerry now. Um, absolutely appreciate you taking the time to to be on the show, um, for being vulnerable, for being real and authentic. Um, that's what makes these enjoyable to do and, and enjoyable for our listeners. Um, you know, I know, you know, but, uh, that I respect you and admire you appreciate, um, your leadership in, in our community. I appreciate our friendship. Um, and just overall grateful that, uh, you could join us. Well, my thanks to you. I mean, um, for even to be asked to do something like this is a, is a great honor for me. And I, I'll be honest with you. It means it's really cool for me. So, um, I hope other people share that perspective once they watch this, but, uh, um, thank you. Uh, you guys are great. I miss seeing you in person and we'll make sure that changes here as soon as we can. Yeah, for sure. Salam, any last thoughts that you have or anything you want to share, say to. No, I, I just, uh, thank you, Chris. I just echo what you just said. I'm, I'm experiencing pure joy now, to be honest with you. We, we live in a, in a very, uh, um, stressful and uncertain times, but I just want to tell you, I'm experiencing pure joy and I feel truly honored and privileged and feel like it's a treat for me to get to spend this time with you. And uh, uh, I just, as a community member that has lived here for 23, almost 24 years, I just want to say thank you to you as the person that you are and thank you for your leadership and everything that you have done for this community. And I know you'll continue to do many great things as time goes on too. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and you know, and, if, and I'd like to thank this community for allowing me to do it too, because um, uh, so the, the, the shelf life of a police chief is not that long sometimes. And for me to be able to do it for 15 years and have a career of 43 and a half was, I couldn't ask for anything better. So th- thank you both. And thanks for comments. Yeah, of course. And I know we'll be seeing you around, um, but just want to wrap yes. up this episode for our our listeners. There's a lot to think about. Um, you know, some things I might ask you to think about as our listeners is, is your perspectives and what perspectives you have that can grow, what perspectives can change, um, but something that you can certainly be thinking about um, as you go into this next week. But as always, appreciate anybody that's tuned in, anybody that's been listening. Um, Until next time, be safe. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Take care.